The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jelinch. Today, we'll share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. Each week on the show, we'll respond to a listener question or comment. Be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, so please go ahead and let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. Today's show is entitled, The The Trap of Entanglements. Nothing will rob us of our sobriety faster than getting all wrapped up in what someone else is or isn't doing, or what other people should or shouldn't be doing. Just as our recovery groups avoid public controversy, we as individuals need to, quote, keep our eyes on our own yoga mats, so to speak. We need to get out of the business of fixing others and into the business of sober living. Today, we'll share our experience, strength, and hope on avoiding outside entanglements and focusing on recovery. We'll begin by sharing our experiences of that trying to fix the world, fixing the world, and then move into the solution of focusing on recovery. After the break, we'll share exactly how focusing on recovery helped us to move from fixing the world to sober living. So, Dan, tell us about your experience. Your experience of fixing the world, what that looked like Mm. for you on your recovery path. (laughs) Well, fixing the world was always problematic because clearly I knew exactly how everything should work and other people did not get the memo. They didn't get the memo that that King Dan had sent out about (laughs) how things should be. And so, I mean, that's my experience, I, and I don't think that that kind of thing is limited to uh, those of us in recovery or those of us who've been blessed with uh, addiction and then recovery. W- one thing that comes to mind is, w- while it's true, I do want to be part of the solution, you know that phrase, be part right. of the solution, but I could easily um, understand that to mean or take that to mean well, I, I got to go uh, convince you how you should be doing things so that right. I can be part of the solution. And that is not um, where my head and my 
my spirit, my heart needs to be in the world. So, you know, fixing the world to me means uh, I'm focusing on you, what you, what I think you're not doing right, and how can I make it so that you are doing it right? <laughs> that's the that's the bottom line is how I would define that whole concept of fixing fixing others, you know, fixing the world. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would echo that, but I would also expand it, you know, not just fixing others, but literally that fixing the world, you know, thinking that um, the whole world needs my intercession or my intervention, you know, and so I would characterize it as being outer focused rather than being inner focused. So being very concerned about, you know, everything that's going on out there and feeling like I single handedly need to be the one um, fixing it now it's complex because I grew up in a very politically active family where I, I grew up being told that I could change the world, you know, that, that, that was something that I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be out there, not fixing the world, but changing the world. And so it's not that we aren't concerned about what's going on out there, but, but that fixing the world is that mentality of, of um, being outer focused to the exclusion of focusing on ourselves. So it's sort of a distraction, right? It's a way of not having to deal with myself because I'm always concerned about what you're doing or what's happening out there. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point. And as you shared that about that, um, those messages that you got growing up, I was thinking the, the same thing that, there's nothing wrong with focusing our effort outward, but that's not where we begin. You know, right. that's not, yeah, yeah. that's not the beginning and the end of it. That's, you know, hopefully something that we can do in a skillful manner uh, after we have done our internal healing that's necessary to guide that kind of outward looking, you know, um, my dear friend, Lonnie Vanderslice, Reverend Lonnie, who of course used to co-host the show here, uh, who passed away somewhat recently, taught me many wonderful things. And one thing that really sticks with me and always will. And she said that when she learned this from her sponsor, she they actually had a bracelet made with these three words on it. Did they ask? <laughs> Did they ask what they could be doing differently to have a better outcome? Did they ask me? to share with them what I think about how they might do things differently. Did they ask? And man, when I started applying that same question, I had to admit that these fools weren't asking me nearly enough for the things that they so obviously needed really? from me. But I, I recognize it as a, that phrase particularly, and I can understand why her sponsor and uh, you know had her uh, a bracelet with that on it to stay focused on that did they ask because it is such a simple litmus test for you know is this any of my business is this inside my hula hoop or not because if i'm pretty sure i need to help somebody and they didn't ask you know short of cuz we did talk about this short of their life literally being in danger you know, if someone's riding their bike towards the edge of a cliff and they don't seem to see it. I'm not just going to smile and wave as they go by. They didn't ask me if they were about to ride off a cliff. You know, at that point, it might actually be reasonable to jump up and wave them down. But short of that, if yeah. their life's not in danger, hey, man, if they didn't ask me, then, you know, it's probably not mine 
to do. As wonderful as my ideas are, as right, exactly, they would be course. so much better off. I mean, they 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 need what I have to offer. It's it my, it's not my fault if they're not smart enough to realize that. Right? <laughs> you know, all that crazy thinking that in some way is just trying to get around this very simple question. Did they ask? No, they did not. Well, then I'm sure I'll be happy to help them if they do ask. And until then, I'm going to close my mouth. Yeah, I think I need that bracelet still today. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's sort of one of my growing edges, uh, that's come up for me recently. It's just this idea that my opinion is not always needed. And I think we'll probably get into that a little bit more later, but yeah, did they ask? No, they did not. And so it comes from this overinflated sense of the importance of my own opinion, right? I'm going to share this wonderful idea with all of you. And, um, I'm just beginning to learn that sometimes the more spiritual response is to zip it essentially zip zip that lip <laughs> and i just had to say that you kind of aged yourself when you said hula hoop because i don't think anybody under mm, 40 knows what a hula hoop is but okay that's i right. must have learned it from the old timers then <laughs> i haven't been around Stay i haven't been around long enough hoop. to be an old timer well, i might look like one I'm, I'm, I'm definitely immature for my age. <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate that you said that we're, um, we're especially talking about in early recovery, you know, when it's so important for us to not get distracted by what, what we think everyone else should be doing. And that's typical, you know, I mean, I, I know that's how I am. I learn a, a little bit of something and I want to let everybody know what I know, you know, <laughs> and you, you do often see this, you know, you see newcomers, um, you know, who kind of think they've got it all figured out within their first six days of sobriety. And I, I was probably a little bit like that. <laughs> I was probably a little bit like that. But, you know, the more I learn, the more I know that I don't know very much. But in early sobriety, I knew quite a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I was all too happy to share it with you. Um, so like I say, you know, just that overinflated sense or just that sense that I even need to insert myself into other people's business at all you know um so i'm that's a growing edge for me even today many years later learning that um my opinion doesn't always need to be offered and that they probably didn't ask <laughs> hard to believe though <laughs> it's hard to believe hard to believe that they are for not asking if, but, if they know. just had more sense in their head they would have asked so let me uh, move ahead as if they had asked you know my there are so many ways that we can come up with to um, get around this simple three-word guide, did they ask, that uh, it's it's comical, really, they if I can look back. Huh? They ask subliminally. I'm picking That's up right. Yes, I have ESP. That's right. They're practically begging me. Look <laughs> at them. Look at what they're doing. They don't know how to shovel snow. Someone <laughs> needs to show them the right way. You know, I've, I've heard this saying um in the rooms in particular, but it applies everywhere, that whenever I point the finger at someone else, I have three fingers oh, yes. pointing back at me. And I think that that is meant to get at this very same thing. You know, if I'm all about, hey, you need to stop doing that, and you need to start doing that, and da-da-da-da-da. Now, here's an example of, of, quote, they did ask. If I ask someone to be my sponsor, I am asking them for guidance. 
Yes. I don't have to ask them for each and everything. And if someone has asked me to be their sponsor, they have asked. You know, right. if I, and if I see them, I'll, I'll use the example of I'm the sponsee. If my sponsor sees me doing something that, in their experience, is probably a bad idea, it's that I have asked for them right. to bring that up. And of course, they've got to use their own discretion and their own uh, inner wisdom to decide what to do. And so it can be a little, it can be a little less, a little less black and white, especially for those of us say, um, you know, you and I are clergy. And so at church, we have been hired as spiritual leaders of the church. So how much asking is implicit in right, that? Right, right, right. It's, yeah. it's certainly not that I go up to anyone doing anything that I think could be better and start telling them about it. <laughs> Clearly, it's not that, but it's something. It's and and this role. is, you know, this is what we what we turn within to uh, to discern. But right. did they ask is really a, a very good general rule for staying out of the business of fixing the world or or fixing other people, I think. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, for me, it comes down to being very outer focused versus being inner focused. And um, when I'm very outer focused that is usually because I'm trying to distract myself from the inner work. You know, inner work is hard and keeping that focus on myself is hard work, especially in early recovery when we're just getting pummeled by all of it. You know, it's a lot, it's a lot to manage and um, it can be very tempting to want to put that focus out there, whether it be, you know, getting involved in a whole bunch of service or sponsoring a bunch of people or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, this is just sort of a caution against just being aware that when we, when, when I'm getting very outer focused, I need to look at whether it is, um, whether I'm trying to distract myself from something inner that I need to be more focused on. So it can be a real distraction. If we're that's not a good point. Cause we can learn how it feels. That, that's what I've noticed. After time, if we're willing, we'll learn how it feels like, oh, I'm doing that thing again. So now that we know about this challenge of fixing the world, uh, what might the solution be? Well, in unity, as always, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. And one of the core tenets of the unity movement is that we turn within to directly experience the presence of the divine. That's the first place we go to address anything that is calling to us for healing. And when we turn within to focus on the healing that we call addiction recovery, and focusing on recovery is exactly what we need to do in order to be happy, joyous, and free. And that is what we want to look at today, focusing on recovery. But what does this look like to focus on recovery? That's another one of those simple simple to say, not quite sure exactly what that means. Right. Uh, how do we know if we really are focusing on recovery? So, Michelle, when you hear this concept of focus on recovery, what comes to mind for you? What does that mean? Well, you know, we've talked about this before that in many ways, the 12-step recovery program is a selfish program. Self, selfish isn't the right word, but a self, um, yeah. self-focused, let's say a self-focused program, especially in early recovery. And so that just means I have enough to manage with just dealing with myself. Thank you very much. And focusing on my own recovery. Um, and so 
you know, that's, that's okay for that period of time, especially in early recovery for us to really sort of let other things, you know, take care of themselves while we take that time to really focus on ourselves. And whether that's a month or six months or a year or your first two or three years, it just really depends. Everyone is different and everyone moves through recovery at a different pace. But um, I think that that's a gift that we can really give ourselves is to really take some time in early recovery. And it can be done at anytime like let's say we didn't do it in early recovery we can do it now yes. you know give yourself a, a spiritual retreat weekend or a week or a month or a year or whatever it is that and it's it could feel selfish but it's not selfish because in unity as we know when we heal ourselves from within then that out pictures and then we can be of more use to our fellow man when we've done our own inner work so it's not about focusing on myself as so much as focusing on my own healing, my own inner work, my own recovery. And so it's really making recovery the priority in my life, especially early on. I would say early on recovery was my priority. Now spiritual work is my priority. And it's essentially the same thing. It's just a little, little shift. Yes. What comes to me uh, first when I, when I think about what does it mean to focus on recovery? And a lot of these things you know, we ask these questions and I, and I really take a, you know, take a moment, take a breath and relax and let, and let it come back. Like, okay, so where did it come from? And inevitably I'm hearing the voice of others who came before me, you know, certain people in, uh, in the rooms who just, you know, it's just, I heard the right thing at the right time. Now they may have said it a hundred times before that, but I didn't hear it before that. And so I'm glad. And one of those things that I heard is that my sobriety is the most valuable thing that I have. And at first I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I know it's important, but that seems like, you know, that seemed like a little over the top. Right. Kind of praying. (laughs) Like, did you see that sweet ride I rolled up in? Because Uh. I don't know, man. Um, But after I got sober, you know, for a while, and, and as you point out, it, it, each, for each of us, it unfolds at a different pace. Um, but certainly I wasn't sober on day one or day 30 or even day 60. But at some point, you know, as I, as I became, uh, more open to the, I really began to understand what that, what they were saying as that my, and I affirm it today, my sobriety is absolutely the most valuable thing that I have because without it, everything else goes, goes really fast. Yeah. goes down the drain. Yeah. And it, and my life, in a sense, is, and this is another saying, I don't know if I'm going to get it right, but um, my sobriety is contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition, which I think is kind of what, what you were getting at. Yeah. You talked about how spirituality, we can get to a point where we realize that that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah, it right. began in the context of um, for me, chemical addiction and recovery, but it expands. Uh, it expands from there, and so I, I can truly. I feel like I can truly affirm today that my sobriety is the most valuable thing that I have because everything comes out of it. Yeah. Well, first, I just have to say that in early sobriety, I had that sweet ride because I had a 66 Mustang. (laughs) (laughs) So I would have been the one rolling up in my Mustang thinking I was all that. But yeah, that's the most valuable thing that you have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So sobriety for me is like the foundation, you know, it's like if you were to remember when we were again dating ourselves when we when we would build these like towers out of playing cards. <laughs> yes. And and it's like if the bottom layer is not sound, everything else comes down. It's literally a house of cards. And so that's sort of what sobriety is in in our lives as recovering individuals. It certainly is for me. You know, all these years of working on myself and my spirituality, if I go out there and drink, it's not that that's lost, but things will get bad quickly and those things will not be able to function optimally because I don't have that, that basic foundation of my sobriety. And, you know, I've probably said this multiple times, but it's one of my favorite things to say to myself when things are really getting tough. And it's not that I really consider taking a drink, but you know how it is. That little thought comes in your mind, you know, boy, this would be so much easier if I didn't have to feel a hundred percent of it. If I could just take a little bit of the edge off, there is no problem in my life today that alcohol cannot make a whole lot worse. Whole lot. A whole lot worse. And so, yeah, sobriety is absolutely for recovering alcoholics. For this recovering alcoholic, sobriety is absolutely the bottom line. Nothing else can be done, or you know, it just that. That has to be always the top priority. Um, and so that's really, you know, that's focusing on recovery. Staying sober is just the tip of the iceberg. I can't do any of the other work unless I'm sober. Right. You know. Absolutely. That's absolutely. I had a sponsor that emphasized that. And, and it's not because I kept going in and out. I'm, I'm fortunate and grateful that I came in and stayed in. But that idea that you, you can't sort of get sober. You can't kinda, I mean, you're going to quit say in my case with alcohol, I'm going to quit drinking or I'm not. It it really is binary at at that point. That's how important it is because I can't be secretly drinking at home or just drinking on the weekends or really working to keep it under control and then be be part of a 12 step recovery and think I'm doing anything. I'm not doing anything until I've put the bottle down period. Uh, So one thing I asked this question, what does it mean to focus on recovery? Well, one thing it means to me is to really live these recovery principles. And there's so many of them, but one of them uh, that I've been aware of forever, because maybe this is the most popular bumper sticker, one day at a time, Mm -hmm. one day at a time. You know, I, 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 at first, really that came across as, well, that's, that's thing, that is a phrase that someone says to another person or says to me. But when I really began to be serious about living recovery principles, I realized that's something I say to myself. Yes. One day at a time. Let's not get too wrapped up into, but what if this happens? What if that happens? And this and that and the next thing. But rather stay, you know, in terms of sort of progressive spirituality, stay in the moment. Exactly. At least. I mean, that doesn't mean that you know, if I know if I want to eat next week, I might need to go to the grocery store tomorrow. That's right. not living in the future. That's, you know, realizing a need n- n- noted. And now I'm back in the present moment. Right. I said I was going to go to the grocery store at three tomorrow. Is it three o'clock on Wednesday? No. Then uh, then I'm done. Why am yeah. I 
sticking my nose in that. You know, when that time comes, I will go. So that's how I can plan for the future, but still live in the present. And that idea of one day at a time has helped me so much because I, like many of us, um, can really over-process things, you know, yes. and it's, it's, at, it's in a misguided attempt to create safety, which yeah. we've talked about before. Um, and so yeah. one day at a time, that's something I can say to myself now. Yes, and it continues to apply all throughout recovery and all throughout the spiritual journey because I think it's sort of human nature to want to get out in the future. And so that never gets old, that reminder that, um, you know, I need to focus on what's happening right now. And it's interesting. It's like for alcoholics, the last place we want to be is in the present moment. (laughs) And we do everything we can to get out of the present moment. And yet, we know as, you know, as clergy and as folks on a long-term spiritual path that the present moment is where it's at, man. That's where the whole spiritual deal is, is in the present moment. And so if we're constantly chasing away that present moment, we don't want to feel it, you know, um, and we're using alcohol to not feel it, then, you know, that's, that's the problem. We need to keep coming back to that present moment. Another answer that comes to mind when I ask, what does it mean to focus on recovery? And this, again, is something that I learned early on from people who had been around a while. And it's basically each morning and each evening focused on, in in unity terms, what I call guidance and gratitude. You know, turn within, uh, even if it's just for a short amount of time. uh, Take a breath, turn within in prayer as we do maybe I like to think of uh, seeking guidance as not seeking it so much as opening myself to the possibility of realizing um, guidance. And that's how it has worked best for me. And always in gratitude as well. You know, and the the people that I know in in recovery that, you know, maybe are a part of a more uh, traditional Christian tradition might say, you know, God, please keep me sober today. Thank you, God, for keeping me sober today. Even though I don't use those particular words, I know exactly what they're talking about. Oh, yeah. And I can do that, too, in my in my own way. That's not right. um, that particular kind of asking prayer, but is more of our unity style of experiencing sort right. of prayer for lack of a better phrase, and to uh, really live that and be open each morning to asking, uh, being open to guidance and doing so in gratitude, and at the end of the day, gratitude particularly at the end of the day. Just feel it. You know, I don't have to say it. I read a a book once about prayer um, that talked about uh, and told a story about the, the rainmaker. The rainmaker didn't pray for rain the rainmaker prayed rain. And the difference is you don't go asking for it. And and I'm just getting at a core unity principle. You just be it. You live it. Yeah. Affirm it. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're bringing up these old timey um, slogans that we have. The other one that comes to me is live and let live. And that's basically what we're talking about too. You know, so that focusing on recovery is staying in my own lane. What other people are doing is none of my business. And um, so there's that humility and that, you know, just focusing on myself and not worrying about what other folks are up to. That's that keeping my side of the street clean, too. Yes. That reminds me of. Those things are cliche, but they're great reminders. Yes. And let's hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation. Please stay with us.
we're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back indeed. We're glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, and I'm here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jelinch. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there, and each week we'll respond during the show to a listener question or comment, and be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, and please let us know what's on your mind. So prior to the break, we were discussing that phenomenon of fixing the world, wanting to be out there fixing everyone else's problems. And then we talked about how that contrasts with really having that focus on our own recovery. So Dan, now that we've talked about that challenge of, you know, being outer focused and wanting to fix the world, and we know that the antidote to that is to focus on our own recovery. How did that work for you? That how did focusing on your own recovery lead you to sober living? Well, you know, I'm remembering something that you said in the first half of the show, and now I'm forgetting what it is you said in the first half Uh of the show, but it was perfect. It was perfect. But it got right at the concept of um, that in a sense, I mean, one way that I can look at it is that um, focusing on recovery is living sober. In a way. I mean, it's almost two ways of saying the same thing, but the, 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 really the hallmark, the distinguishing factor, and this is what you were talking about is if I'm focusing outside myself, that's a really uh, convenient way to avoid doing the painful inner work that, that is really calling, you know, it's healing is the best word I know to describe what we're doing as we put one foot in front of the other, so to speak, on a recovery path, is that we're healing. And if I am keeping my attention focused on you or them or anything outside uh, myself, I may well be doing that to avoid the painful experiences that, you know, may well be the very same ones that cause me to be in a recovery program. I don't know. So when I think about um, how does focusing on recovery lead to sober living, it's because it it pushes my focus inward, which is appropriate for the healing part of all this. You know, we, we know that we don't we don't we don't want to walk the earth completely self-involved. Right. right. But at the same time, no one can do my inner work for me. Only I can do it. And so, yes, I, right. I do have to turn within. Ideally, I have a balance in my life. Um, And so focusing on recovery helps me stay out of fixing and move into sober living because that is where my work is. Yeah. Yeah, that made me think of, you know, in, in the recovery sort of language, we tend to differentiate between being dry and being sober. Mm-hmm. And being dry would, you know, be just not having ingested alcohol. Whereas when we talk about being sober, what we're really talking about is being engaged in the recovery process. And so... um you know, it's not enough to just stop drinking. We've got to really do the work of this program, which the 12 steps lay out very in a very detailed and systematic fashion for us. And it is a program of, of fearless self-examination, you know, and it's, 
it's tough. It's not an easy, it's not an easy path that we have chosen. Um, I was thinking about, you know, why did I drink? Why did I drink? I drank because the present moment was too painful. I didn't want to feel the present moment. I didn't want to sit there and be in my own skin and feel whatever it was that was, you know, happening internally that I was trying to escape. And so, and alcohol is not the only thing I used, you know, I used cigarettes and relationships and all kinds of other things as a big distraction. Um, And so, but alcohol was probably the primary one. And so when I removed that distraction, that was what enabled me to begin to do the inner work that was required. That's why I said in the, you know, beginning that staying sober is like the tip of the iceberg. It's just the very first step. I can't do any of the work without having that in place first. And so that's just how important it is for me to focus on recovery. If I want to be in sober living, not in dry living, but in sober living, which basically for me means living as happy, joyous, and free as I possibly can. That's what I was just thinking, those exact words. I love those words. I know. What a great great? description of what what we're calling sober living. We could easily just be calling living happy, joyous, and free. And And that's exactly free from all kinds of things, you know, free from, from being overly upset, free from, I don't know, I could go on and on. There's a lots of, there's a, there are layers and categories of freedom that I know have come to me. Uh, on the recovery path. And so that's a that's a big one. But um, this is something we talked about before. If I think about how does focusing on recovery get me out of fixing and into happy, joyous, and free? Well, staying in the present moment. And I want to share, uh, I have a couple of Bible verses here that came to mind as we prepare both, both from the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> the only sermon on the only mount you right. ever need. We say, I joke at church, this is this is all we need. If yeah. all we had was a Sermon on the Mount, we'd be all set. All we need is the Beatitudes. All we yeah. need is one Beatitude. Yeah. And if I could live that, then I'd be all right. But this is from Matthew 6, verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Yeah. You know, that's a statement of keep, keep your consciousness here in the present moment. Yeah. You know, that's a... You, I could extend that to keep your eyes on your own yoga mat. I don't know if any of Jesus or his followers were doing yoga, but that concept of keeping your mind right here and right now and not ranging out into the land of worry. You know, I've heard it said, if if I let my mind drift into the past, then I might be subject to depression. If I let it range too far forward, I might be subject to anxiety um, and worry. But don't worry about tomorrow. T- tomorrow's going to be tomorrow, and you'll know when it comes what to do. Let today be enough for today. So stay in the present moment. Yeah. And that, to me, that's tightly linked with this, you know, turning within and doing uh, the inner work. I-, I guess it would be possible that I could stay in the present moment and hyper-focus on what you're doing yeah. or not doing, or, or right here in the present moment. But to me, those things are linked. Stay in the present moment. Stay in contact with, with my, my, my felt experience of the divine right here and right now, which is the only place and time that, that it even exists in. Yeah. 
Well, now I'm thinking about about Jesus and his disciples wearing yoga pants all on their little mat. <laughs> they probably totally day. were. They probably were. Yeah, so, you know, I think I might have mentioned in the past uh, segment that it's about, for me, at least humility. You know, humility is like, I need that reminder over and over and over. Humility. You know, my opinion is not needed in every circumstance. I hate to tell you that that was a revelation for me. Actually, it's a continued revelation. It's still revealing itself to me. Um, you know, very recently I saw something on Facebook about um, every situation does not require my reaction or something. And, you know, today, after all of the years, I still went, whoa, <laughs> mind blown, you know, everything circumstance does not require my input, my reaction, my suggestions, <laughs> my opinion. And like I said before, you know, just that idea of being quiet. It's, it's my growing edge for sure. It is definitely my nature to want to have input into everything. And um, that's, you know, there, as you mentioned, as clergy, that is our role to a certain extent. And yeah. there's certainly a time for to express our opinions. I'm not saying that there's not, but, um, you know, probably a lot of the time it's not necessary. And I, as I mentioned before, I have enough to deal with just managing my own business um, without trying to manage yours as well. And I have enough, I have enough on my plate just trying to use spiritual discernment to determine what's best for me at any given moment, much less have any idea what's best for you, you know? So just, I need to stay in my lane. I know that's kind of come to mean something a little more political in our culture today, but I mean it in the original sense of, you know, staying on my yoga mat with Jesus and all the disciples in their yoga pants saying namaste. That's going to be my image for the day. Keeping my side of the street clean was an yeah. image that stuck with me when I heard that because it's very visual and helped me understand right. that concept. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to my second and final Bible reference. No, I left it to you. I this is from it, but... something completely different. This is Matthew chapter 7, the third volume in the Sermon on the Mount trilogy. Matthew 7, I read first. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. So this is a very famous words, famous analogy um, that we're hearing. And I think that there, I, I find that this works on a couple layers. Um, it is a statement that says, keep your eyes on your own yoga mat. You know, look in the mirror for the source of the problem. You know, right. why don't why don't I become perfect first and then I'll go ahead and help you become perfect? You know, that <laughs> that kind of thing. But also it's it's really yet another of what I would call a subversive kind of teaching, meaning it, it yeah. subverts my my uh, you know, my mental patterns, the yeah. way that my mind historically has worked and the way that it does it is if I actually do what this says, then the whole thing changes. Like if I look at it from the outside, take the log out of my own eye and then, and then I can, you know, correct you. I can go into it with that consciousness that, well, my whole goal here is to be able to tell you how you should be doing whatever you're doing. So all I got to do is take the log out of my own eye. Well, guess what? If I do that, if I actually do it, everything changes. Yeah. I'm no longer concerned about the speck in your eye. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's how I think that this teaching, like many 
of the teachings that I read um, in in the Gospels is is really getting at the core of my dysfunction yeah. and subverting my my uh, you know his my mental patterns that are that are not doing me any good. And this is another one of them. You know, first inner, then outer. Right? We turn within, yes. and then we take action in the world. We I inhale. And then I exhale. Ideally, I'm in perfect balance, you know, with with all of that, with my inner work and then my work in the world. Um, but the principle of turn within first, central to unity, as yeah. we talked about, it's one of the things I love best about unity. Uh, turn within first and then take action in the world. Right. And then we say as within, so without, because yeah. what hap what's happening within us is what we project into the outer. Yeah, Jesus was really quite a brilliant uh, observer of human nature. He really nailed it on a lot of those things, those aphorisms, you know. I mean, just just listening to that, take the log out of my own eye. I mean, it's like, that's a lifetime of work right there, just getting yeah. that log out. Because it's not a splinter, it's a log, right? Yeah. I got, that's enough for me to focus on for at least the next five to ten years, you know, without worrying about the the uh, twig or splinter or whatever it is in your eye. I really love this concept of turning within um, before we do anything. And I think I've mentioned, you know, the, we have these things that stay with us that we just keep passing on to whoever may find it useful. But the sponsor that I had, who whenever I would call her with a program, with a problem, she wouldn't even let me go on and on about it. She'd let me go on a little bit and then she'd stop. And she was Jama she is Jamaican and has a wonderful Jamaican accent and she would say have you prayed yet and I'd say well no I called you <laughs> okay honey hang up go and pray and then call me back it's that idea that first we seek inner guidance mm -hmm. and I still have to be reminded of that you know it's not always my first uh, nature to, to, to do that but it's that um, always seeking that inner guidance and what is that inner guidance it's spirit right? Spirit within, the divine within, my higher self, my, the part of me that is connected to divine mind. And that uh, guidance is always going to be better than anything my human ego mind can come up with. And so always going first, you know, even if it's quickly, you know, if something needs to be done right. quickly, we can stop for just a moment and just turn within and just ask for guidance. Or like you said, changing the language a little bit, affirming guidance. Um, it looks different on any given day for me, whether I'm asking slash begging or affirming. It just <laughs> depends on where I'm at that day. But to me, it's all good. The The point is turning within um, and, and, and then going from there. It sounds so very simple, but I truly believe that every time we do that, it sort of recalibrates us, resets us. Um, so that we're working from the inside out. We're working from a spirit-led place. And um, then, as you said, when I do that, my focus is automatically going to be much more on myself and what needs to be changed in me rather than what needs to be changed in someone else. And the wonderful thing, the universe is such a lovely, ironic place, is that as I change myself, the outer shifts as well. Right. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> I love that because why? Because my whole perception has shifted. Yeah. An entire world seemingly changes around me. I could take seemingly out. And yeah. it's not like, it's not that people 
got any different or started to behave differently. I started to see differently. Yeah. And that's the huge power, of yeah. course, in spiritual growth and addiction recovery. You know, one really practical example, and I say practical because this, this has nothing to do with addiction or recovery or spiritual principles. So any of us who've ever flown on a plane are familiar with the safety speech. And it says, in the event of cabin depressurization, oh, yeah. the oxygen mask will drop from the ceiling. And then here are the instructions. Put on your own oxygen mask first and then assist the person next to you that it's right there in that yeah. in that simple completely you know non-religious non-spiritual very practical statement yeah. the truth of this runs so deeply that well of course i can't be of any service to you if i passed out because right. i didn't put on my own oxygen mask first you know on the airplane but the the same principle is in place for any of us uh, whether we're in recovery or not you know, we we mentioned earlier, pointed out the fact that you and I are, are clergy. Well, it applies whether we're clergy or not, in recovery or not. I cannot assist others on their path. Let's just assume that they asked, okay, for the sake <laughs> of this. Even if they ask me, I cannot assist others on their path if I haven't done my own inner healing. In, in fact... Um, I might even, this is, uh, oh, I don't know where my head's going, but I've heard this about if I want to find a good counselor, like a therapist, I, right. I'm a big proponent of of uh, psychological counseling on a weekly yeah. basis. If if I find a therapist and that therapist has some of the same unresolved issues that I do, I need to find a different therapist because yeah. that person cannot help me. They have the same blind spots I do. They'll enable me without realizing it. You know, I have to find someone who has been through the healing. You know, that's why the whole sponsor-sponsee relationship is so yeah. powerful. I yeah. choose someone that I really feel like a, that I have a connection with, and they have been through the healing that I am uh, attempting to walk through. Yeah. And so they've put on their own oxygen mask first. Now they're in a yes. position to uh, help others because they've done the work. Yeah, that makes me think of, you know, seminary is not that far in the past for me. It's just coming up on a year since I graduated, and we did have to take a number of counseling classes, and we talked a lot about, I think, okay, don't, you know, I think I got my facts straight. Carl Rogers and the person-centered approach to, yeah. um, to counseling is basically that, you know, we do our own inner healing, and then when someone comes to us, and this could be whether it's a formal counseling situation or just spiritual counseling or just, you know, sponsoring or sitting with a friend. Again, it's that focus on ourselves. I do my own spiritual healing and then I can just be with you. I don't have to, you know, uh, grace you with my wonderful opinions about what you should do. I can just be that example and be that healing presence. But I have to do my own inner work. And and I think it, I, I was thinking that it really applies to parenting also. The best thing we can do for our children is to take care of ourselves yes. and be as emotionally and psychologically and spiritually healthy as we can. Yep. And then that just automatically gives an enormous gift to our children. And, and it, with our children, with our congregants, with our family and friends and loved ones, with our sponsees, with everyone around us, again, as within, so without. And so when I turn within and I focus on my own recovery and I do my own work, put on my own oxygen mask first, 
then I can be that healing presence for others. And it will probably be coming from more of a listening place than a let me share my wonderful opinions with you place. Yeah, let me tell you how it is, because I'm the knower. <laughs> I, um, I, another thing that comes to mind about a, a way that I can focus on recovery that does lead me to a life that's happy, joyous, and free, also known as sober living, is well, I've heard this phrase over and over, trust the process. Right, trust the process. So, for example, if I'm in a 12-step program, and 12-step was very helpful to me. I would never say 12-step's the only way to go. There are other ways and that have worked for others, but that's the one that I know. So I'll use that as an example. In a 12-step program, I don't come in, um, admit that I'm powerless, and then go out and help others. You know, I don't do step one and then jump to step 12, uh, which (laughs) we can be tempted to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, because that whole pink cloud, that the whole pink cloud thing, I, I really right. feel like the the pink, the pink cloud is the universe lending us years of sobriety right. so that it's almost a sneak preview. This is what your whole life can be like if you do the work. And then the pink cloud fades away. And now is your opportunity to do the work so that your whole life can actually be like that. And it, and it is, and it does, and it works. So it's sort of like a sneak preview. But if I don't know that, I might think, woohoo, I'm better. You know, yeah. thank you, higher power. I admitted I'm powerless. And now let me tell you what you need to do in yeah. order to be sober like I am, because I haven't had a drink in like three weeks. And, you know, yeah. that kind of way of thinking it. Don't we call it two stepping, right? Don't two step. Don't go from from one to 12. And another one that comes up a lot, and I've heard this from so many people who, you know, have in their wisdom have done it wrong. Um, don't rush into doing amends. You know, don't do steps one, two, and three, and then start apologizing for right. everything you're now realizing oh, yeah. uh, you should not have done. And and the story, and I'm glad I didn't do it because I had good sponsorship, um, but the story that I've heard over and over from people who did do it is what a disaster. Mm-hmm. What a, they just, you know, we're just, if I do that, I'm just creating the need for more amends. So yeah. let me stay out of that business. Trust the process. Yes. That's what and we're about. Slow the heck down. Slow down, right? Yeah. Um, and I would also just add to that not rushing into our fourth step because it will be incomplete. I mean, yeah. and, you know, everyone should follow their own inner guidance and their sponsor's guidance. But I didn't do really fully do my fourth step until I was maybe in my third year of sobriety. But I was in therapy. I needed a lot of counseling, a lot of self-exploration before I even knew what the heck to put on that fourth step. You know, Amen. and if I'd and done it in my first year, counsel. it would have been totally incomplete. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But let us now change gears and turn our attention to a question or a comment from you, our listener. So here's a question that often comes up. It goes something like this. My sponsor is always talking about not making any big changes in the first year. What is their deal? Why are they always going on about this? <laughs> Michelle, why is my sponsor always going on about not making big changes in the first Because your year. sponsor probably tried it and saw how it didn't work <laughs> out very well. <laughs> yeah, this is very sound advice also. And, you know, so many changes are happening in our early recovery. As we've said in multiple different ways throughout the past hour, we have enough on our plates just dealing with our early recovery. So it's really a good idea not to go and make big life changes or decisions. Um, you know, don't get married. Don't, you know, move. Don't take a new job. Um, 
anything, you know, if it's avoidable, because we're just not, you know, in the place to be making those kinds of life decisions at that point. And we changed so much. I changed so much my first year. So our focus really needs to be on ourselves and our recovery, especially in the first year. Absolutely. And you had mentioned early on in our episode today, that phrase that we hear that recovery, you know, 12 step or recovery is a selfish program. And, you know, maybe that's not quite the word I want to use, but I get it because we do have to do our own inner work. And in a sense, you know, even though we, you and I didn't, I don't think touch on this issue, this question, this good question about why is my sponsor telling me not to make any big changes? But we went on and on. I know I did. Went on and on about the answer because the answer is the same thing we've been talking about. The short answer is to focus on recovery. Why shouldn't I make any big changes? Why should I not change my job and get married and move across the country? Because I can't focus on recovery if I'm doing those things. Those are massive distractions from the inner work that needs to happen in order for me to build a solid foundation, you know, that I can get that pink cloud feeling back as just a way of life and which we call happy, joyous, and free. So this, this, this getting sober is a healing time and we need yeah. to minimize distractions. That's minimize the same reason distractions, if, we're, yes. if we're hospitalized with the terrible illness, we also don't change jobs, get married and move across the country. That's Why? Because right. we need to relax and heal. We need to heal, and that's very sound advice. So, as always, we like to give you an affirmation. Unity is real big on affirmations, and we like to give you something that you can take with you to use throughout the week to reinforce the ideas you've heard here today. So, our affirmation today is turning within, I allow spirit to guide my life. I love that one because it's short and sweet and simple. (laughs) Turning within, I allow spirit to guide my life. Well, it has happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are truly grateful that you have. And we hope that you found something in all of our yammering that will be genuinely helpful to you in your recovery. So thank you, Reverend Michelle, once again for our discussion, and thanks to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. Listeners, if you'd like, you can connect with, us, connect with us throughout the week on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and go ahead and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.